You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to dive right in. Uh, 40 verses in chapter 8. I thought I'd tackle it in one talk. Nope. I gave that daunting task to uh, Pastor Jason last week, and we're still friends. So we're going to take Acts 8 in two bites. And so today, verses 1 through 25 next week, the title of the message, as you've already heard, Joining God in His Work. And let me ask you a question out of the gate. Do you consider that a privilege? To be a part of kingdom work to share in ministry, to see God's kingdom come. We're going to close this morning with John 17, 4. Jesus in his final hour says this, Father, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's powerful, folks. What was his work? Ultimately, it was Calvary. But Jesus had a work to do, and he completed it. He finished it. This morning, you're going to see how God is going to use a gentleman named Philip to demonstrate to us that he wants us to join him in his work, and it's a privilege to do so. Philip is kind of like Stephen. Uh, In Acts 6 and 7, we got two chapters of 28 chapters in Acts dedicated to one man. Why? Stephen's a model for faith, a man full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Man, I'd love to have that written about me. That's quite a statement. Let's go to Acts 6, 5, because I want you to partner uh, Philip with Stephen because he's one of the seven. A few weeks we talked about the issue of conflict in the church. Sometimes there's tension, and God raised up seven individuals full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom to bring peace, to bring resolution, to serve. Look what Acts 6, 5 says. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And notice who's next in line, Philip. Luke is one intentional individual, folks. He has a roadmap for his book, for Theophilus and for us. He wants us to know seven were chosen to do God's will, to do God's work. Stephen, two chapters, Philip, one chapter, part one, part two, joining God in his work. You ready to join him? It's a privilege. I want you to know this too. Jesus saw it as a privilege to join God in his work. Let me show you a remarkable passage that one of our elders, Greg Argenbright, reminded me of when we were talking about this a few weeks ago. It's recorded in John chapter 5, 19 through 20. It's in your notes, so you don't need to turn there. It's on the screen. Track with me. This is a remarkable statement to me. I'd love to study it in depth sometime and teach more on it. Then Jesus replied, religious leaders, there's always this dialogue going on, people trying to figure out who this Jesus Messiah servant is. I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. (laughs) How do you unpack that? That is almost an incomprehensible thought. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. There's this partnership between God the father and Jesus the son. And then, of course, we're going to see today his church, the bride, his people. 
For the Father loves the Son, shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. You know what? Standing in awe of God is one of the great privileges in life. And when we see the works of God demonstrated in and through individuals like you and me, I would call us clay in the potter's hand, shaped for ministry. When we see God's kingdom come through broken vessels, we get to stand in awe of God. Great works he wants to accomplish in and through us. I hope you believe that. Henry Blackaby is a gentleman who influenced me greatly. And what has been sad in the past few years is my age is um, being evidenced. Because I'll throw out names that were champions of the Christian faith early on in my faith journey. People are like, Henry who? Henry Blackaby. Please tell me you know who Henry Blackaby is. Anybody in the house? Yes, there's five old people here this morning. This is a really young church. I want to make a promise to you. You want to go on a journey and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You need a fresh start in your faith journey. Grab his book, Experiencing God. I promise you this, your life will be changed. It radically transformed me about 30 years ago. Henry's theses came out of John 5. He says, look and see where God is working. You know what you and I have the privilege to do? Join him in the journey. Jump on the bandwagon. He's working. We have the privilege to partner with him and experience God and thus stand in awe of God. Now, Acts 8, you need to know this. If you're a note taker, make sure you take this note. This is a hinge chapter. You got to see this. Luke is so intentional. What do I mean by a hinge chapter? First seven chapters in the book of Acts focus in on Jerusalem and Judea, geographically centered at the base of the gospel, right? Now, Acts 8, boom, we're moving forward with the advance of the gospel to a place called Samaria, and we're going to see this is quite a radical movement. Now, as a reminder, Acts 1.8 is the vision statement, if you will, for the book of Acts. Let me review that with you. Jesus, before he ascends, he says this, but you receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. That's where we're going next. And to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus gives our commanding orders. Luke embraces it. First seven chapters, about a decade in Jerusalem, Judea. Now we're moving out to enemy territory, a place called Samaria. Are you ready to join God in his work? Are you ready to stand in awe as he is already working in and through you? That's the privilege we have to experience God as he works through broken vessels like you and me. This past week, Ellen and I just had a treat. We uh, had lunch with a couple visiting our church just for a few weeks. And so getting to know them, they get to know us, talking a little bit about Westwind and so forth. And as we wrapped up our lunch together, I said to the couple, I said, if you sense you're sticking at Westwind, I want to encourage you to take the journey experience. Well, immediately they said, we're sticking and we're ready to dive in. Where can we serve? Folks, that's after three weeks of just visiting. They're ready to join God in his work. They're ready to experience him and stand in awe of God. 
That's what God wants for each and every one of us. The greatest among us, Jesus said, is the one who serves. And that is a privilege. And so I already turned in my card this morning, and I'm going to bake some stuff for that cool October 3rd thing. You might not want to eat it. It might have too much flour in it. But yeah, I'm baking. I thought about doing some landscaping. Okay. I could do both. Sign me up. Sign me up. So we're going to close today with that card that's very practical. And Jason, thank you for creating that. But if you have your Connect card, I always like to start with the blessing. The word of God is given to bless, right? Blessed are those who read, who hear, who take to heart the word. That's why I say the blessing. And it is this. Because of Christ's promise and vision in Acts 1.8, each one of us should join in work. Join God in his work. So four works this morning. Let's take a look. Work number one, the Father's work is a difficult endeavor. And if you know your Bible, that should go without saying, right? There are forces working against the kingdom of light. They are the forces of darkness. The prince in power of the air, his name is Satan, has a rulership that is the opposite and in opposition to the kingdom coming. So there's difficulty ahead when you sign up for kingdom work. Now let's see it from the text. Look at Acts 8, verses 1 through 3. Saul agreed with putting him, meaning Stephen, to death. On that day, notice the phrase here, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Friends, we have to learn a few things right out of the gate with the Bible. The Bible's just an honest book. These are tough times for the church. Did you notice the phrases there? A severe persecution ravaging the church. Who is he? It's Saul. His day's coming where his life will be transformed. Can't wait to get to Acts chapter 9. But these are tough days for the church. Men and women are in life groups, are worshiping like we're worshiping right now. And what happens? They're dragged off, thrown into prison for what? Following Jesus. Of course, we don't experience that kind of persecution in 21st century America. Maybe that day's coming. But the vast majority of people around the world who claim Christ do experience persecution. It's real as the air we breathe. So what must we learn? There's a few things we have to learn. God allowed and used persecution in the church to do what? to scatter the salt of the gospel from the salt shaker in Jerusalem. Maybe, just maybe, we don't know for sure, that they were stuck in Jerusalem, that Acts 1-8 wasn't really happening as God intended. And so God uses and allows persecution to push them out of the base and scatter them in places like Samaria. And so the death of Stephen, folks, 
is not a senseless thing. And sometimes we read today and then and we say, wow, why did that have to happen? Why did God, where were you, God, when these difficult things are transpiring? I can tell you where God was. He was on the throne. This isn't senseless. This is sovereign. God is seated on the throne. He knows his servants. Seven men, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, chosen. Stephen, yes, forgives those who are stoning him. Don't hold this sin to their accounts. Philip takes the reins in persecution, takes the gospel to Samaria. Please never look at the trials, the tragedies, the hurts, the sufferings, the persecutions, and even the martyrdom of the church to think it's senseless acts. God is seated on the throne and he is sovereign. And he, as we'll see, used this greatly. And so let's talk a little bit about the realities of persecution. There are ministries that track persecution all across the globe. Today, they estimate about 1 million Christians lose their life for the gospel globally. That's actual data. Voice of the Martyrs is a great resource. In my lifetime, one of the most significant tragedies that took place that God used in such a beautiful and sovereign way goes all the way back to the late 50s. You may be familiar with a group of men who were married, little children. They went into what's called the Wadani People Group, and they tried to bring the good news, the gospel, to the savage Aka Indians who were very barbaric in their lifestyle, savage in their treatment of outsiders. They made contact. It was friendly. They served. They gave gifts. They finally went in thinking, hey, maybe we could meet. They learned the language. They were engaging. And sadly, on a beach there, their five lives were taken, and it was savage. They were speared to death. It became international news. Life magazine went in and did a cover story of that tragic event. Let me show you a picture. The statement on Life magazine says, go ye and preach the gospel. They valued it because missionaries weren't only just bringing the gospel, they were bringing so much more to help out the quality of life. Look at the next caption. Five do and die. And folks, we could step back and say, man, Lord, where were you? He was all over this situation. Because a few years later, a couple of the wives went back to the Wadani people group. Elizabeth Elliot, Marjorie Saint, two of the wives of the men. They preached Christ and him crucified. Elizabeth took her two-year-old Natalie with her. Just imagine. The first individual to come to genuine faith in Christ was a gal named Diuna, and she came out and told what happened that fateful day. Fast forward today, you know what the beautiful thing is? There's a movie. It's called The End of the Spear. You want to watch that movie? Nate Saint, jungle pilot, who lost his life, his son made the movie. He went back in and lived among the Wadani people group. The whole tribe embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. He met the guy who killed his father, and he offered him forgiveness. Books were written on this, Jungle Pilot, Diuna, Through Gates of Splendor, and one book that changed my life, The Shadow of the Almighty by Jim Elliott. 
When I read the shadow of the Almighty, I was brand new in Christ. I had no idea what was going on about Jesus, ministry, kingdom, missions, and so forth. The book opens with this statement. He is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God took that statement by Jim Elliott's and etched it on my heart and mind forever and called me into vocational ministry. And folks, I am one of hundreds, if not thousands, over the past six decades that God used that tragic event. Yes, they lost their lives. You saw the women meeting. They were broken. Their stories have been told globally. Their, the books have been uh, vastly read and used. And God took that sovereign event, and you know what he did? He thrust forth an army of missionaries to the ends of the earth. It's hard, but God knows what he's doing. You know what Acts says? Again, honesty. They who enter the kingdom of heaven will suffer persecution. (laughs) You ready to sign up for that? But that's the beauty of scripture. It's honest. And we have the privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. And that's what persecution's all about. Sharing in his sufferings. What a blessing when we do. Can I encourage you? (laughs) 99.99999% will not experience this kind of persecution, right? But you know what? Ministry is hard. Would you agree? I was over at the kids' ministry this morning. I was just standing in awe of what's going on over there. I saw one gal, because we just opened up our toddler's crawler's thing. I've never been over there. I'm like, wow, this is how it works. There's one gal with two babies under one. I'm like, man, I can barely handle one of those for about five seconds. There she is, tag team with these two babies. Now, I know that's kind of light work, but it's good work. It's God work. And it's so necessary. Why? As we regather to free up our parents to worship, to be taught, to grow, to serve. Wherever you serve, know this, it will be difficult. Paul said to Timothy, it's like a hardworking farmer, up early to bed late, and never stopping. It's like a soldier who doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of this world. It's like an athlete who's running the race with all perseverance. And when he's tired, you don't grow weary in well-doing. Why? For due season, you'll reap if you don't faint. You keep going, Timothy, because Timothy was ready to bail. Timothy was suffering under persecution. It was too hard. He knew his buddy Paul, his mentor Paul, was going to be martyred. He was ready to bail. Paul says, Tim, get back in the game. Become that farmer. Become that soldier. Become that persevering athlete. And so can I encourage you? When you feel like bailing, when you get tired, you grow weary, just keep leaning in. Draw your strength from the Lord. Let him use you for his kingdom and glory. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning there isn't a time for rest. There is a time for rest. That's that Sabbath that we go through on a daily and sometimes seasonal. But boy, the privilege to serve is yours, is mine. Work number two. The Father's work is an empowering endeavor. An empowering endeavor. This is fun. Uh, Brent, first time I've ever preached this passage and seeing this point. Look at verses four through five. So those who were scattered, and twice we see this word, went on their way preaching the message of good news. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Let me show you Acts 1.8 again because clarity is given to the idea of scattering. 
And this is so important to this passage. Without capturing this piece in verse 1, we don't see the clarity from this passage. So Acts 8.1 says, All except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And so what's going on? The base, the mothership, if you will, is Jerusalem still. The church is scattered. They're being persecuted and it's severe. But the apostles choose to stay in Jerusalem. It's very strategic. And you're going to see throughout the book of Acts that Jerusalem still is base. And then as it expands to Antioch, it expands to Rome, to the ends of the earth. We're going to see that Jerusalem still has a strong influence as the gospel expands. But there's a few things that really inspire me from this empowerment. One, when the believers go out, you know what they're doing? They're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're not cowering, folks. They're not running and hiding. This isn't the upper room again, living in fear. Jesus bust through, peace be with you. They are emboldened for their faith through persecution. How remarkable. Now we're not talking about the apostles just preaching, Peter and John, right? We're talking about the church being thrust out, sharing the good news. You know what I also see in this passage that's remarkable? I don't see the high control of the apostles. In other words, I don't see them all kind of meeting, saying, oh, you go there, you go there, you go there. I see an empowerment. It seems like the apostles release these believers. Philip's leading the way to do kingdom work. Now, we're going to see healthy accountability at the end. But boy, there is an empowerment. You know what empowerment simply means? Leaders give ministry away. Leaders give ministry away. In other words, Ephesians 4, you equip the saints to do what? For the work of the ministry. That's my job. That's Pastor Jason's job. That's what elders do. Equip saints to do kingdom ministry. And that's the privilege we see here. There's empowerment. One of the measures at Westwind Church is this concept of empowering leadership. And one of the beautiful things about the measures is we can track if it's happening. We can track if people are being equipped, if people are serving, if people are generous with their time, treasure, talent, and touch. That's an encouraging thing. We want to give ministry away. So look what happens in verse 4. Those who were scattered went on the way preaching the message of the good news. When you think of preaching, what do you think of? You think of what I'm doing right now, right? Not good because that's not at all what's going on here. It's not some guy up front, talking head, giving you a sermon. You know what happened? They went out preaching, basically the word is evangelizing, oangelion. They are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They are having gospel conversations in the midst of persecution. And so, I would contend this, these young believers move from being ministry consumers to becoming ministry providers. And please hear me. I, I don't like the derogatory nature that, boy, the church is a consumer church. I don't like that. But I know one thing. In Jerusalem, as young believers, they were receiving. They're receiving. They're receiving. But at a point in time, they said, boy, it's time to give back. They went from consuming to providing, and the kingdom of God came. 
Think about the wisdom of that. You got 12 apostles. Now you got thousands of believers equipped to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so here's the encouragement on empowerment. If you call West Wind Church home, know this, we want to give ministry away. We just want to. But we want to equip you. We want the right people in the right places for the right reasons, right? We want you to serve out of your sweet spot. In your communities, at work, on the ball field, there's all kinds of opportunities to, to be empowered for ministry. But this morning we chose to highlight a special event after 13 years of a church, October 3rd. And so, dear friends, pencil October 3rd in. Let's make October 3rd a hoopla. Let's everybody contribute the piece that you contribute, and it will be a phenomenal event. By the way, we got Snappy's Barbecue. This is a gentleman in Adel. He shows up everywhere. He's a good friend, and he's coming. We got kids' meals. We got, what's that good? Oh, that brisket stuff. We got the Texas brisket stuff. I mean, it's just going to be a blast. Stuff for kids all the way on up adults. There's a dunking tank, and uh, we've labeled it elder dunking tape. I'm so glad I'm a pastor. Um, so this is the elder dunking tape right in the center of that one acre next to the property. So Greg Argenbright, are you going to be the first in the dunking tape? Just a little peer pressure here. Alphabetical. I, I'll take that as a yes. So, so pencil that in. So real quick story. How are we doing on time? Not good. Real quick story. Um, Ellen and I sold our Harley Davidson this past week. And it was one of those gut-wrenching things. Had the bike, 1200 Sportster, for 25 years. And so a couple shows up. And the gentleman, you know, gets out of his van. And I was like, wow, Andre the Giant's going to buy my bike. And we got connected to Todd and Megan and his girlfriend, and they came into the house, and we kind of put the bike thing aside and got to know this dear couple, and thinking God's going to give some neat ministry down the road. But what was cool is I got a text from him a few days after they bought the bike. He says, hey, when's that church starting again? October 3rd. What's the address? 1115 Westbrook Drive, Waukee. My mom and I are coming. So just a cool little story. Let's just keep inviting, right? Let's keep meeting people. Where we are at, let's see his kingdom come. Work number three, and this is fun. The Father's work is a healing endeavor. I love the word healing because it goes back to Isaiah 61, Luke, Luke 4, right? Came to set the captive free. Let me show you quickly three healing endeavors. Number one. Healing through gospel truth. And it seems like the record of the book of Acts, the gospels for sure, it always starts with truth. You will know the truth, right? Principle and person, and the truth will set you free. Where do I get that from? Verses four and five. So those who were scattered went on the way preaching, sharing the good news. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah to them. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and I love this, both men and women were baptized. Why is that crucial to this passage? Here's what's crucial. When the content of the gospel is clear, when people understand repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and they trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, what is the first step of obedience? It's called beautiful believer's baptism. 
It's called uh, Romans 1.5, obedience of faith. Here you are in Samaria. The gospel's being preached. The truth is proclaimed about the Messiah, Jesus. People come to genuine faith in Christ. First thing, the evidence, they were baptized. Now you know there was purity in the gospel message. It starts with healing through truth. Secondly, healing through gospel deeds. Gospel deeds. There's so much we could say about this, but I just have to simplify it. Look at verses six through eight. I love this. And I think we have a pretty good audience right now. You guys are paying attention. Thank you. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said. As they heard and noticed, saw the signs he was performing, what happened? Unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Again, I can't go into all of what's going on here, but I think what is happening basically is Philip's ministry is validated just like the apostles' ministry is validated in Jerusalem through signs and wonders. We can talk more about that down the road. But for the point this morning, healing through good deeds. Can I share with you Ephesians 2.10? Because I think this is so holistic, so representative of what God wants for each and every one of us. For we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're in Christ, God sovereignly chose that you would live a life of good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> when you get out of the bed in the morning, do you ever struggle like, hey, what the day's gonna look like? Do you ever feel a little bit down and out? Do you ever feel like, man, I'd rather just kind of sleep in the whole day? You ever feel like that? You know what this Ephesians 2.10 gives me? Just personally, it gives me purpose and meaning for the day. Today, I can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Right now, this day, I can choose good works. I can say yes to just serving, to blessing in Jesus' name. We have a dear friend couple in uh, Indiana. Every time we talk to them, as we just go back and forth. They just share these simple stories of how they choose to bless people. That's it. It's just that simple. Investing your time, your treasure, your talent and touch in others. Giving your life away. Why? Because Christ gave his life for you. That's the privilege we have, folks. And again, going back to the I am card, um, I encourage you, reflect on how God would have you participate. If we all do our part, including at home, man, it's just gonna be a hoopla event on October 3rd. Now, finally, healing three, healing through gospel community. And I wanna encourage you, please don't make light of this. This is enormously important. Look at verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that, what's the key place? Samaria had welcomed God's message. They sent Peter and John to them. If you've been with us through Luke, you know this. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They despised each other. I can't go into all the details today, but there was a rift for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And guess what's happening? Jews are bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hated Samaritans. That is remarkable, folks. But it's the fulfillment of Galatians 3.28. I've said this before, I'll say it again. 
Sometimes we gloss over it. One of the most radical verses in all the Bible is Galatians 3.28. Here's what it says. There is no Jew or Greek, can I add, or Samaritan, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. The Roman world, like our world today, was just divided. It was a class system all the way. There were the haves and the have-nots. There was the chosen and the unchosen. There were the barbarians, the dogs. The Gentiles got a bad rap from the Jews. I mean, it was an apart society. What does the gospel do? It brings us together in community. We have the privilege to be one in Christ. A lot easier said than done, right? Especially when we're interacting with broken clay pots. But that's what's happening Jews are now being reconciled to Samaritans for the first time in history. That's a remarkable thing. Please don't miss it. Acts 1.8, you receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then we'll see to the ends of the earth. What a beautiful thing. Now, finally, work number four. The Father's work is an accountable endeavor an accountable endeavor. Check with me here, verses 14 through 17. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is a very unusual passage, folks, but the simplicity of it must be captured. Why did the apostles send Peter and John to Samaria? One reason, if you're taking notes, write this down. To verify and validate that the Samaritans had embraced the gospel, the truth of it, in sound doctrine and responded accordingly through believers' baptism. So Peter and John come down Boom, thumbs up, way to go. And the demonstration of the uniqueness of the setting is, Acts 2.38 says, when you believe what happens, the Holy Spirit baptizes you. God gives you his gift, period. This was non-normative. And so they come down, they lay hands, the Holy Spirit comes to validate and verify that yes, the Samaritans now are grafted in to the family of God, to the body of Christ, to Galatians 3.28. Neither Jew or Greek or Samaritan were all one in Christ. What a beautiful picture. Now, in summary, can I suggest this? There was one guy in Acts 8 who didn't embrace the gospel properly. His name is Simon the Sorcerer. And I'm not going to unpack all of it there, but I do want to highlight one thing. If you could turn to Acts 8, 18 through 24. And we're going to close here. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power too, so that, I, so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And notice the apostolic rebuke. Notice the apostolic accountability. Notice the false gospel being corrected. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be attained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent, Simon the sorcerer, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord 
that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then sovereign response, please pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you, may, you have said may happen to me. It's a really unusual story. There's so much I could say about Simon. I did a lot of study, but for today's purposes, it's this. The apostles come, they verify, they validate the Holy Spirit is given. The Samaritans are part of the family of God. Why? They were half-breeds. They were hated. They were despised. Jews and Samaritans had no, now they're part of the family. However, in Samaria, there's this one-off who has a false gospel, wants to manipulate the gospel, wants to use the gospel for selfish gains. Who holds them accountable? Peter, the apostle. And he created a purity. It created a unity, and it created a doctrine of what the gospel is and is not right out of the gate as it's expanding to the ends of the earth. Quite remarkable, folks. Accountability is a beautiful thing in life. Healthy accountability is wonderful. If you have it in your marriage, thank God for that. Kids, that's what parents are there for. Honor mom and dad as they nurture and shepherd you in a God-honoring, accountable way. In the church, God has given elders uh, to hold uh, one another accountable. It's beautiful. In life groups, you hold each other relationally accountable. Well, let me close with one verse from Romans 14, 10 through 12. And this is a beautiful verse. For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. It's called the judgment seat of God, the Bema seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to who? To God. There's coming a day where each one of us will stand before his throne of grace. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and little. Time, treasure, talent, touch. Enter heaven with joy. I'm gonna allow you to be faithful with much. There's an ultimate accountability coming. That's why we have earthly accountability to make sure when that ultimate accountability comes, it happens in a glorious way, that you'll celebrate it. There'll be a smile on Jesus' face. When he sits on his bema seat, he says, well done, come on in, there's great joy. Friends, when we ask you to serve, can I say this just as sincere as possible? It's not necessarily what Westwind wants from you. It's what Westwind wants for you. It's what God wants wants for you. Now, practically, do we need you? We need you. Tina, do you need help landscaping? Crystal, do you need help landscaping? Yes, they do. Could you say that loud, nice and a big amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> practically speaking, we need help, but isn't it so cool? This isn't what we want from you. It's what God wants for you. Well done, good and faithful landscaper. Well done, Keith. You made some cookies that people ate. Hallelujah. That would be a day. Well done. We're going to prepare for communion, and hopefully you received the communion elements. And I want to basically go back to where I began. It's John 17:4. John 17:4 is a remarkable statement. Jesus says, "Father, I finished the work on earth that you gave me to do. I brought you glory by doing that." What is the work? It's communion. It's giving his life a ransom for many. It's hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
It's offering atonement, paying the penalty for my sin and yours. All our sin, past, present, and future. And so if you would prepare by peeling back uh, both sides, really, you can take out the bread and prepare the juice. I think what's remarkable about communion is this. These were two common basic elements in the ancient world. Bread. It was a staple. Wine. That's what they drank, not water. They didn't have purified water as we know it today. These were just staples. These were so normal. What did God do? He took that which was normal and he consecrated it and made it exceptional. I hope today as we celebrate communion, and we remember that Jesus finished the work the Father gave him to do, that you and I will eat and drink together, saying, Lord, I want to join the journey. What a privilege to join the Father in his work. And folks, there's no menial task, no menial task whatsoever. We got to set up chairs, we got to tear them down. We got to sweep floors and mow lawns. There's no menial task done when it's done to the glory of God. So on that night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he took cup. He did give thanks. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Let's eat. This is my blood shed for you. And it inaugurates the new covenant in my blood. Let's eat and drink together. Let's stand together. Let me pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, we stand in awe of you today. We stand in awe that Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. What a remarkable statement. Father, we wanna join in with Jesus, with the Father to do the work that is pleasing to you. So lead us every step of the way, we pray. Some very practical things ahead, Father. As we prepare for Connect Sunday and all oh, the ministry of life groups, so necessary, Lord, to serve in an abundance of ministries, but to testify of your service to us. You washed our feet, and what a privilege we have to wash others' feet. So would you help us this morning to be generous with our time, treasure, talent, and touch. We worship you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.